So, Zach, you have been made the czar, the education czar of the United States, let's say, just to not be ridiculous, just the US. Uh, and the, the question put to you is that should we have mandatory computer science education mm -hmm. in schools, just like we have mandatory mathematics education? Right? Like, obviously, there's some flexibility around that. It's not like mandatory through all levels of mathematics up to grade 12 or whatever, but there is some recognition that everyone ought to learn mathematics. Should we do that to schools? And you're welcome to say something in between, like we should like pivot the math education to be more computer science or something. But my general question to you is given, and to provide some context on Zach, the degree to which I believe you believe that it's empowering for kids to be able to control technology in this way. Don't influence his answer. Let's let's hear what Zach thinks here. I'm giving him time to think. Okay. <laughs> I, I think the answer is yes, as long as it's project-based and as long as it's focused on building projects. And I think it should probably be two years, one or two years. And um, I, I think the hard realities of the American education system is that way too many young people go to school and don't leave with any real skills. And I think that in an ideal world, I think all education should be optional. Uh, but I, I think in the practical world that we live in today, um, I, I think having mandatory, you know, one or two years project-based CS education that will turn a lot of people that wouldn't be on to CS onto it. And I, I think that's just the reality where we're at right now. So that when would, we're that, saying project-based, it's like, are we also saying like no grading or is it like the teacher's allowed to grade the project or something? Are we saying- Oh, oh, oh no, no. I mean, I, I think I think there should hundred percent be grading. I think it should be like a real class. I think, um, but I, I think that, you know, so one thing that's happened in America over the past uh, few years is that there's been a huge rollout of computer science education in high schools. Um, and we're seeing stuff happen on smaller schools too. So um, uh, in, in 2014, I believe, I believe the stat was one in 10 high schools in America offered a single coding class. Today, it's about 50%. And um, that is one of the fastest rollouts of a new type of subject ever. And there's still like a ton of work to do, but the way in which we've done that rollout uh, is for, you know, if you learn AP computer science principles, it's taught different ways, but this is one of the new courses that's been designed. Uh, some students go that entire year of CS education in high school without writing a single line of code. Um, and I, I think that the thing that's uniquely empowering about knowing how to code is realizing that computers and phones are not something that are made by people in cathedrals that are inaccessible to you. Um, they're made by people just like you. And with just a little bit of effort, like you can become one of those people too. You can kind of flip that switch from being a consumer to being a creator. Um, I think that if you're not writing code, you're probably not having that experience of realizing you can be a creator too. So um, what are they doing if they're not writing code, like whiteboarding algorithms or something? What what tends to be the current state of an APCS that's not writing code? 
So this is specifically APCS principles. Yeah. Um, I um to be frank, I, I don't deeply know the curriculum. Yeah. I've just heard from students where they're yeah. like, oh, like I'm in this class, we don't even write code in this class. Yeah. And usually what they're talking about is ethics, um, how computers work generally, um, some of the concepts, like the the buzzword that is used a lot is computational thinking. Um, in my mind, you can't really learn computational thinking unless you're you're writing code. Um, but, um, th those are the concepts that are being talked about, but to be frank, I I'm really not an expert in how we are teaching computer science through the fall methods, like where I've spent the past 10 years really trying to make a small dent in the universe is helping teenagers learn outside of the system. Uh, because for the vast majority of young people, like even today, more than 50% of high schools don't offer a single class. And when it is offered, like they're oftentimes not great. Like they're pretty under-resourced, um, most computer science teachers don't have a background in programming. Most of them are like formally taught a different subject like English or math or science that have been trained through professional de development programs, which are usually pretty short. And they're trying their best, but there's just not a lot of resources not, and not a strong culture around it. So um, I, I, I think that, um, I, I think specifically what I would picture is like, I think a great you know first year CS course would be like, Everyone builds a website and builds like, you know, first name, last name.com. Everyone builds a backend in JavaScript. Everyone builds like, you know, a web server from scratch, like where you have a series of probably five or six like real projects that are actually attainable if you're like 14 or 15, where you're diving, you know, a little bit behind the scenes. And I, I think that when we think about teaching math, like that is the pitch for math. It's like math is a language of the world around us. If you learn the concepts behind it, you can start to understand the world around us. But like, Computer science is just that in such a more tangible way for so many people. And, and also, I, I think it's particularly important too, where like increasingly like this, I think there was a generation of people that kind of grew up um, using computers as consumers. And, you know, if you learned and were using computers from like 2005 to 2015, the way in which you use your, or before that, like the way in which you use the computer is pretty similar to the way that people who code use a computer too. Like, you're downloading files, you have a file system, you have folders on your computer, like you're typing on like a QWERTY keyboard. Where increasingly for young people today, like they don't use computers that way anymore. So the gap between going from like tapping on an iPad and not really understanding um, what a file system is to like understand the concept of like a tree structure and knowing how to type quickly um, is a huge difference. Like one of the things we see a lot in Hack Club, and I'll, I'll stop, um, is you can, if you go to like a hackathon where a lot of the people at the hackathon are beginners and are younger, like 14, like freshmen in high school, you can really tell which ones play computer games at home and which ones don't based on if they know where the different special keys on the keyboard are. Um, like I've noticed just in running Hack Club the past 10 years that the average teenager is, is maybe half as fast at typing today as they were, you know, 10 years ago. But they know where to put their fingers on WASD, probably. Well, if you're playing computer games, you're on a like you know yeah. you know the computer. Okay. Uh, if you're not playing computer games and you're mostly on your on a phone or an iPad, like yeah. you have, you don't even understand concepts like the file system, like the idea of like a file being on your computer versus on the cloud is actually quite confusing. Um, yeah, I was just so, I I've talked to sort of folks who you know uh, siblings and whatnot and. There's still this huge gap where people say, I know coding is writing things in a text file, but how does that go to something on my phone? And these are yeah. folks who were even, you know, in school in the 90s and whatnot. And 
because they weren't introduced to that, uh, I think I think you're right. The phone file listing is recasting people's uh, ability to understand this, and we've just put another veil behind this understandability thing. That it, it's kind of uh, I, I I'm worried about that. I think that's uh, it's interesting that you brought that up as one of the key pain points. Totally. Well, and I, I think the the reason why it's relevant today is like you as a young person you might not gain those like pretty basic computer skills unless you're being taught it um and i think that a lot of young people don't see themselves as the type of people who are capable of making things and um and when they when they start to gain some knowledge knowledge is power and they realize they're actually not too far away from like building a real website or like building a real app like you know there's one 14 year old in hack club who um you know, she's really into making films and really into making movies. And she uses iPad, she uses iMovie all the time on her phone to do that. Um, but when it came to like building a real app or something, like it felt like that was a pretty distant concept. Mm -hmm. But when she realized that like in an hour she could build a website, um, she started a local bakery business in her town where you, know, you can order a cake from her, she charges like $20 and she delivers it to you in town. And like, she made like a couple hundred dollars one summer through doing that. And, and I think that like, you know, we need to get Oz. One thing you said to me years ago that really stuck with me um, was uh, the story of Laszlo Polgar and the, and like his whole like store like you know learning pedagogy, which is basically if you want to become master anything, all you have to do is three things. One, you have to figure out how to make it fun so you can like spend eight hours a day doing it without burning out. Two, you need to figure out how to have a feedback loop around your work so you can figure out if you're getting better over time or worse over time. And then third. And most importantly, you need to figure out how to always get yourself like just outside of your comfort zone, not so far where it's demotivating when you fail, but not so close that your wins aren't meaningful. And I think that for a lot of young people, they're like just a little bit of knowledge and understanding from like getting those three things around computer stuff. And um, I, I think if we had, you know, more universal uh, CS classes, I think, you know, more people would be turned on to that. Um, I don't like the idea of compulsory education, but I think it's needed today. I'm actually quite surprised that um, that you that you said that that you took that pill or, or that option of like let's make it compulsory, because in my mind everything that you say is true, but it is Hack Club that is doing these things, and Hack Club is like very intentionally outside of the system, and uh, the idea that you might actually want to like nudge the system into doing this itself, uh, this is are you being humble here, Zach? Oh, well, I, I think that, um, like, there's 14.7 million high school students in the U.S. Um, and that club serves like 25, 30,000 students in our programs a year. And um, I think there's a lot more appetite for Hack Club than the number of students we serve today, but it's really hard to reach them. And um, when you try and go through the traditional distribution channels, like, they're, it's it's pretty hard to, like, you know, get people to go from, like, you know, watching YouTube or like whatever they're doing at home to like spend their free time coding. Like you kind of basically what you need to get someone to go from being a consumer to a creator is like one, they need to have inspiration. Two, they need to have friendships that reward them for spending their time making things. And then third, they need to have specific actionable nudges that get them to build projects. Where like if you're like a super deep coder and you spend a lot of time coding, it's like the coolest thing you can do for your friends is ship a cool project. Um, you're regularly probably reading Hacker News where you're always seeing like new ideas popping up and like you're seeing stuff like Rust happen and like you want to get on the Rust stuff and then there's like new stuff like like there's a lot of hack clubs in your Knicks right now. So like you got inspiration constantly coming at you 
And then you're constantly getting nudged because all your friends talk about is programming. Um, so you're really like on that treadmill. But to get the people who aren't quite there yet, but are pretty close, it's it's hard to get them started. And I think that, you know, as much as I, I don't like it, like I think that if every single student took a one-year CS class in America, I think that the demand for Hack Club would skyrocket. Mm. Um, like I think I think we would have half a million kids that that would like be like pretty eagerly like going after it. Um, so do you think um, the way you're describing Hack Club and sort of following along with your friends just makes me think of the importance of being into something, especially in those early years, and like it helps you find your tribe. It's like, oh, I know this esoteric knowledge about a band or something. Or you know, for me, I was really into skateboarding for a while. Sounds like you've been working with people who've like figured that out. Um, I I wonder if you'd be able to recapture that feeling. Probably not in the traditional school setting. Like there are just going to be people who choose not to like get into it. And how much of it feeling like a club and something away has led to success with Hack Club to this point? Yeah, I mean, my vision for the future of education is like, I think high school should be half as long as it is. I think the classes should be much more skill relevant. I think there shouldn't be homework. And I think there should be a lot more things like Hack Club for yeah. coding and for other things too. Um, and I, I think the thing is, is like, In my view, there are basically two types of education models that exist in the world. Uh, there are high floor, low ceiling models where everyone learns to read and write, but it's pretty hard to go off the beaten path. Um, and then there's low floor, high ceiling models like Hack Club, where like a lot of people who come into Hack Club don't get anything out of it, and we're okay with that. But the people get engaged, they go really, 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 really far. Like there was a 17-year-old Hack Clubber from Singapore last week who found a zero day exploit in iOS and like tweeted about it. And it was like, got super popular on Twitter. And um, like, that's, that's amazing. Um, and I, I think that like a good future education system is one that blends both. Um, and, and, and I think that a lot of the issues of high school in America today stem from a really broken college application process. Um, where if you're, if you're an ambitious young person, you are basically trained from birth to become a sociopath to try and get into a school. And um, the way in which you get into college is through is through exaggerating, lying, and pretending like you did things you didn't actually do. Like we occasionally get these companies reaching out to Hack Club trying to sponsor us, which we always turn down, um, where there are these like absolutely insane college prep programs. Like there's this one where they you pay them thirty to fifty thousand dollars. Um, they plan an entire social mission trip for you, your junior year of high school, <laughs> where like, I, like I'm, I'm, it's crazy. Like, I, like they were telling, like, there's one student who said they, they, they found a building in Nepal, booked the tickets for them to fly to Nepal, recruited 30 students to go in Nepal, to go to this building. And the student taught them coding over two weeks. They sent a photographer to take photos of the student sending this, and then they hooked them up with someone to help them write college essays about it. It's like that is sociopath behavior. Like that is absolutely insane, and that's what we reward in our system today. Um, and they, like, and they, <laughs> that kid still didn't get into Harvard, I'm sure. Yeah, I know. Um, didn't find uh, the right rowing uh, coach to bright. Is that can we say that now? Yeah, I'm not no, get totally. anymore when I say that. Yeah, it's or, it's so messed up. So. Yeah, I mean, I I think my vision would be like a high floor, low ceiling set 
of classes that teach you basic things that help you like see some of the different paths that are open to you. It should be much more skill oriented than the classes we have today. And CS encoding should be one of them. But then there should be things like Hack Club where if you get into it, you can take your interest really, really yeah. far. Do you think Since we're we, talking um, about color? Sorry, go ahead, Shelly. I was just saying, um, the practical nature of coding in particular, it, it seems like you're saying it's not that everyone needs to become a software engineer, but my read of what you're saying is that coding is very well suited to sort of teaching you that you can see things in the world and you can be someone who can make them yourself. Is that is that why you're trying to encourage it? Or like, cause it seems like you're not saying, you know, don't be an English teacher, don't be a you know, li librarian or whatever it is, or a lawyer, uh, become a software engineer. For me, really, it stems out of my own experience as a teenager, which is yeah. that I was a sad and depressed teenager that was really unhappy a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered coding, like my entire life changed because I had something that brought me joy. Yeah. I was able to connect with people that shared the same values as I did. Um, and it opened this up this entire world. And like, I and it I looked think... great on your college application. You oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Um, so for, for me, like wanting Hacko to exist is like, I, I would have killed for a community of teenagers that loved coding and making things when I was yeah. a teenager. I really tried to find that and I struggled to. And I think every young person who's like, ever has that thought of like, hmm, like, trying to make something could be kind of cool, whether it's coding or engineering yeah. or some hardware. Like, I think there needs to be a path for them. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that a lot of people don't realize is like, today there are millions of young people that are interested in this stuff. Like when you look at the most popular YouTubers on YouTube, on YouTube, a lot of them make like engineering content and their audiences are teenagers. Like, I don't know if either you, either of you have seen stuff made here. He is absolutely incredible. I mean, he makes like these yeah, Mark Rover, there's a whole genre of this stuff where it's like, can we just yeah. replace all of science education with people just uh, yeah. watching and tinkering with this stuff? Yeah. It's like a modern, way better discovery channel. And um, if you go to like an average middle school, there are a lot of kids that watch those videos. Mm -hmm. But for 99.9% .9 of them, like when they have that moment of like, oh, like maybe I want to try being one of these people too, there's absolutely nothing to help them carry that forward. Um, and that like dream and ambition just dies. Um, and I, I think that like, we should have support. And I think ha the hope for Hack Club is that Hack Club can be that support for all of them. And, and specifically like, you know, I, I can talk about it later, but we, we have this new program at Hack Club that we're trying to build out to kind of try and make that, make that possible where it's like, you know, like they're like real support to help you go down that path. Um, can we just like, uh, fill the listener in? uh on your when i joke about your college application uh actually i'll ask this as a question what would have happened to the world had zach larder gone on the path of uh the college application process and so on what do you like where do you think you would have ended up compared to what, what happened yeah so so my background is i um i grew up in southern california um both my parents were social workers um, my, my dad worked in mental illness, uh, and with homeless people and my mom worked in the foster care system. And I went to public schools that like most schools in America didn't teach. And I believe still don't teach any coding classes. And as a kid, like I, I just love computers. Like I, I remember getting in trouble because like I took about the family computer and couldn't figure out how to put it back together. And, um, I loved video games and I was like, how do I like, I want to, I want to be one of the people who can make these things. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled to figure out how to 
pursue that. Like there wasn't really anything at my school. I didn't know friends who had engineer parents. So I was literally just Googling. And like, if you were on IRC, you know, in like 2007, you might've talked to someone that said they were in their twenties who really didn't sound like they, like they were in their twenties. And that might've been me when I was like a fifth or sixth grader trying to make friends on the internet. And, um, I, um, when I discovered coding, like my whole world changed because suddenly like I had a, a thing that I could do that where I could like make real things and like try and do stuff. And my, my first thing I worked on was when I was in sixth grade, I helped, um, I was like a super low level person for one of the early MMO games, um, for iOS. And like, I helped design some of the levels and later I did some of the scripting. And like to see a thousand people experience something that I made a small contribution to was like the most exciting and empowering feeling I'd ever felt. And at the moment I was just like, I wanna do this for the rest of my life. And when I made it to high school, I think, you know, I was 14 and I felt like incredibly lonely and isolated. Like I, I didn't know anyone else in person who shared this interest. I'd literally never met a coder before in real life. Um, I was like desperately trying to find stuff. Um, and um, ultimately, I ended up dropping out of high school. Um, when I was 16, I, I moved. So when I was 15, I left school. When I was 16, I moved out of my parents' house and I moved to San Francisco to become a programmer. And when I moved, I had no idea how I was, how I was gonna make rent. Um, I, I, I thought I had a lot of money saved up for my web contracting. And then I, I paid a $6,400 security deposit on a, San Francisco, on a room in a San Francisco apartment. And I was like, totally out of money. Um, and I got a job. Can I ask just quickly? Sorry, this this feels like a very courageous thing. Like there are not many fifteen year olds who I can think of who would do something like that. Firstly, drop out of high school, like forget college, drop out of high school, and secondly, move to uh, even a high cost of living city at that age. This to me is like exemplary courage. At least like right now, I'm sure fifteen year olds like. In 1850 or whatever had a different kind of constitution uh whether they wanted to or not but like what gave you the confidence to do that do you think honestly for me i hated school so much it wasn't about confidence it was like i literally like cannot show up to this place anymore um i i missed like 40 days of school my freshman year like it was like the school was calling my parents saying they would have to show up in court and like talk about a truancy case if i didn't like go back um, and it was like really negative and I really wasn't very happy. So for me, like, honestly, it was a lot less about courage and a lot more about trying to escape what felt like child prison. Um, and, um, you know, obviously like having background, like, you know, I was very lucky to like grow up in a nice area and like go to a, like, you know, a good school, but I, I hate how we like, I hate how we treat kids. Like they don't like, they're not real. Like we think of kids as these like cogs in our system rather than as like real people. And I don't know about either of you, but like as a kid, I never felt like a kid. Like I feel like my feelings when I was 12 are just as real and valid as my feelings today. Um, and I think that like society should should see kids in that light and treat them differently. I um, feel the same way, but maybe inverted where I still feel like 12 years old. And <laughs> Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying, but I, I've never, I've never felt like an adult. Well, like, I love that. Right. Oh. But yeah, I, I, and I, I think that, um, you know, part of the goal of Hack Club is to treat kids like real people. And that's something that we do in everything that, that we try and happen. So sorry, long way to answer your question, but, um, I don't think it was about courage at all. I, I, I think it was about escaping school. 
And honestly, I think school kills the dreams of a lot of kids. Like Gallup does a survey um, called the Gallup Student Survey, where they survey about a million students every year. I haven't looked at it in a couple of years. So my stats are from like 2018 or 2019, but- I don't I, think I, it would have gotten better since then. <laughs> I can't imagine it's gotten any better. But in, in, in sixth grade, something like 80% of kids report, like say that they have hope for the future. By 11th grade, it's less than half. Um, one of the most important questions is, do you like school? And like sixth graders say they like school. It's like 70% or 80% or something like that. By um, 11th grade, it's like 25% or something like that. And I, I think that like, you know, we, we force kids to go through the system, which really isn't built for them. Um, it's, it's crazy. Like school is one of the few places where like, if you think about the incentive structures that drive things, like it's, it's lit literally the students don't have any input into the feedback loop at all whatsoever. Like parents have input, school boards have input, principals have input, funding bodies have input, like uh, textbook writers have input, but like the kids get absolutely no voice in any of this. And I, I, I think it's really uh, horrible. So fill us uh, in on the rest of the story. You, you end up in San Francisco, everything goes catastrophically bad. You bail out, go home. You no, know, what happens? So I, um, I moved into this hacker in, into a house uh, with a bunch of friends. Um, it was a six-bedroom house on 18th and Castro. If you've ever been to the Reve coffee shop there, that was our garage. Um, and um, we had 12 people in there. And on my first day in the cities, I got asked to have coffee by a founder of a startup who said he was trying to hire a programmer. And his idea was to build the dumbest app of all time. Um, and the, the concept was like, what if you built WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, but the only word that you can send someone else is the word yo. Oh no. And, um, <laughs> and he, he, had a, he had a working prototype at the time, um, but uh, he, he, he wanted like someone to help grow it and like help manage the backend and everything. I think it was built on Parse at the time. So um, we wanted, like he wanted a real backend build for it. So he hired me on the spot um, I started work like that Monday and I couldn't believe it, but I was making more money than both of my parents combined at the time. Like it was crazy. Um, so I did that for three months. Yo went on to become the number one app on the app store. Um, the New York times did like a front page article about it. We were on the front page of the BBC. Like it was the absolute craziest introduction to Silicon Valley. I think I could have ever had. And, uh, I, I saved like every single penny that I could because I, I knew I wanted to start hack club. And um, after contracting with them for three months, I started Hack Club to really try and create the, you know, the community of high schoolers I really wish I had as a student. So I, I had like 30K or something like that saved up that um, I was trying to stretch for a year. Um, I'm surprised the mission of Yo didn't really carry you through to IPO. It just, it, it didn't connect with you long-term. I, I know, right? Well, I, I thought like, like, honestly, I'm so incredibly grateful to yeah. Orr, who's the founder. Like he, he gave me so much like such an incredible opportunity. I went on my first business trip ever with Yo and we flew to New York City. I feel like I I had never really been to the East Coast before. That was my first time ever in New York City. I remember like he took me to an investor meeting with some big investor in New York City. And I can only imagine what the investor was thinking at the time. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that was my introduction to Silicon Valley. And um I just and, imagine you saying yo to the investor and like closing the briefcase. If the meeting did not open with yo, like, you know, you knew it was not going to be a good meeting. So, yeah. 
I, I know, right? Um, the one of the craziest moments was um, my roommates and I were all would all watch Silicon Valley, the TV show as it came out. And um, the the first episode of season two made like was a parody of an event at the AT&T Stadium. And mm. one of my roommates was a person in charge of organizing that event in real life. So we were like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. And then the second episode had Yo as one of the subplots. And that was like one of the craziest things ever to see. So. Yeah, I so want to um, pick up a thread from uh, from before, which is the kind of um, spectrum, let's say, of of interest in computers and computing that you see in kids. Because I think you've got like one of the the most like the, the you've got a, a front seat. I just spill a whole bunch of tea on my keyboard. My name. Let me ask this question, and then I'm going to actually clean this up. Uh, the um, there are some kids who do not know the modifier keys on the keyboard. There are other kids who at the age of 17 are finding zero day exploits. I actually see a lot of teenagers. I mean, not nearly as many as you do, but I see many teenagers because they, they come to Bradfield being like, they'd, be, they'd make, it'd make no sense for me to go to university. I already know the stuff. Maybe Bradfield is a better alternative. And I'm like, no, the alternative for you is to start work now. You know, you're, you're 17, maybe there are other aspects of starting work that you got to like think about. But in terms of your understanding of this, like you're way beyond a mid-level engineer or something. There are, there are teenagers who know more about specific systems than like even a lot of the experts in those systems will ever know in their entire careers. Like just the degree to which they can get that understanding is astounding to me. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, people who, See, the phone is the only computer that they that they have. Uh, what accounts for the spectrum, do you think? Do you think it's the kind of thing that we ought to, I mean, I think you want to nudge it a little bit or at least give opportunities to people who want to be elsewhere in the spectrum. But I'm wondering how much you think this is about like an innate interest or uh, opportunity or like, obviously it's a complex thing, but would you like to talk a little bit to, why you think we have such a it feels like a widening spectrum like people yeah. becoming more and more capable at younger and younger ages um but also like they, they're using these things as you said in a way that they're less hackable uh there there are fewer things they feel like they have agency over um in general i don't know where the median is now compared to 10 years ago um or maybe you're even going to tell me that it's not important to think about the medium. But do you want to talk I, to that a bit? Yeah. Um, I think the thing about coding and mastery and just making things in general is that human nature is on our side. Like once you get on the treadmill and once you get into it, spending your time learning and making things is a fundamentally satisfying activity. Um, it's something that, something about our psychology, something about like, the way that we what makes us tick like it it just hits those points and once you're making things it is just so much more compelling and engaging and interesting than spending your free time doom scrolling through tiktok um and i i think the challenge is that there are a lot of young people that get on that treadmill and have that realization and that's how they go like so incredibly far because frankly it's so much easier to learn today than it was like 10 years ago like ChatGPT is so much better at finding stuff than google it's like crazy um 
And I think that for a lot of people, it's increasingly hard to get on that trip. Um, like for an entire generation of coders, like just by interacting on with the web, like they accidentally had moments where they're like, wait, what? Like there's more to this. Like there's a whole generation of web developers who basically got introduced to the career through Neopets. Um, and increasingly, I think people are not having those experiences where, um, you know, software is so polished, it's on mobile phones now. Uh, increasingly, uh, you know, I think one of the primary reasons why we're being pushed to mobile phones is because you can't have an ad block and nap. So all ad driven content is like in a box that you can't touch uh, for that reason. And, and I think that's why it's more important than ever that we try and have nudges in society to help people have those, you know, small experiences. Um, and um, I, I think that's the way that that I think about it. Um, and um, you know, we're we're working on a new thing at Hack Club where our internal name for it is called "You Ship We Ship," um, but I don't know if we'll keep the name. But the idea is, if you're a teenager and you build a real coding project, like this is one of them here. It's called Sprig. Um, this one is if you build a game in JavaScript and we have a whole little toolkit to help you do it, it specifically helps make Sokoban games, which are pretty easy to code. Um, we will send you all the parts you need to build your own game console from scratch. So and be able to play your game. Yeah, to be able to play your game. That's that's sick. And it's it's really cool. And like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teenagers have like built games and won sprigs. And for almost all of them, it was the first time they ever built a game. Um, and obviously, you know, that's an entry point to something much deeper. Um, we just started another one where um, if you're a teenager and um, and if you you design a circuit board, um, we will pay a factory to manufacture that circuit board for you for free and ship you your production, like actually manufactured board up to five times for different designs. And I, I think that, and we have a new one that we're we're launching next month called Blot, where if you're a teenager and you create a piece of artwork using code, uh, we will send you all the parts you need to build your own desktop CNC machine that can hold a pen and draw that artwork on your desk. And it's all driven by JavaScript. It's open source. Like you, it's almost like a like you have to build the whole thing yourself. And I, I think the way that we can solve this is, you know, I think our vision is we want to have a pathway of these projects where there should be like 40 eventually, where you start assuming no prior coding experience, build, you know, a website and get yourname.com to host it for four years. Um, or, you know, and then whatever it is, and then they get gradually more difficult, gradually more difficult, gradually more difficult until you have teenagers doing like stuff way beyond what most college students are doing. And I think that, you know, in the same way where, um, every kid in America knows that if you walk down the main street, you can walk into the local library, you can find a book that looks interesting to you. You can take it home and check it out and borrow it read it and then bring it back. Like that's not a gift. No one's doing you a special favor. It's not a special event. It's just like a social contract built into, into society. I think that these grants should be like that too. Where like, if you're a young person and you ever have the inkling, like whether or not you're interested in coding or making, and if you ever have the inkling of like, maybe I want to give it a go, you know, these grants are available to you. You know that if you build the thing, you will get the thing in return. And you know that if you do all these grants, you will be an engineer and maker and be capable of building all your projects. And not only that, but like your bedroom will look like a high-tech lab with all the stuff that you've gotten in return. Like one cool thing about Sprig is that 
this, you know, the whole console is open source and hackable. It's really more like a hardware development kit where, and we, so it's Raspberry Pi based. We break out all the unused GPIO pins. There's a custom PCB that like a teenager helped design. Um, so I, I think that if we do that and we get like posters about this into every single library, makerspace, you know, math, science, technology classroom in America, I think that that is how we can kind of solve this challenge of increasingly kids being consumers instead of creators, because a lot of them have the appetite. And you see that on YouTube, but then there's no path for them to go from there. And for most of them, those dreams die when they face the hard realities of like trying to get into college and realizing they have to lie, cheat, and steal to do it. It's so sick. I I keep saying the word sick. I need to improve my vocabulary, but it is. It's uh, I like I want to start a hack club for adults. Like, do you allow that? Um, it has to be led by students for students. Like the I mean, lifelong learners. Yeah, I know, right? No, yeah. all high schoolers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. The, um, uh, one of the most important aspects of Hack Club is that every aspect of Hack Club needs to be opt-in. Yeah. Um, we we don't work with teachers. Uh, if you're a principal and you call us and you say, "How can I get a Hack Club at our school?" We we don't talk to you. We only talk to students. We only interact with them directly. And I think what that means is when it works, like Hack Club is a very special culture and environment where you're there because your friends are there, not because uh, your parent says your parent says it will be good for your college application to be there. I have a I have a question maybe for both of you. I'm uh, I feel like I've seen some Hack Clubbers on Hacker News, like Cognice put out that. Um, oh, sure. She's amazing. Like the CPU land thing was just incredible. It. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious to sort of talk about that, but when you find both of you have probably found students where you're like, wow, this person, this person could be something like really amazing, et cetera. Does that change how you handle your sort of like guidance towards them? If you find these folks who, uh, seem like they have like very high potential, uh, oppor like opportunities, I'm, I'm not sure, um, if that's applicable, but I'm curious because like me going through this, maybe like I can get through and make a game, but I'm not going to be a, like a potential Turing Prize winner. Maybe Oz, you've encountered people, uh, those stupid bubbles uh, like this. Do you change it when you see these people who have super high potential thresholds? Do you do anything different? Uh, Oz, do you want to take that? Um, yeah, I mean, Zach's going to give the more interesting answer for the yeah. younger people because I, I see people at a, a at a later later stage it's usually. Too, it's too late but... for us. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, look. Yeah. Let me let me restart that. I'm going to say firstly, I think everyone has a super high potential. Cool. Firstly, just like everyone has way way higher potential than they than they think. Just like the barriers are lower, your abilities are higher. Uh, I am going to default to saying. You can do it. I believe in you. Uh, like if nothing else, just because they're getting a lot of false feedback about how they can't do it. Yeah. Uh, and people don't believe in them and things are going to go poorly. And I can say this with confidence in our domain in a way that maybe I couldn't if it was like arts or like you come and you, you yeah. tell me you want to be a, an actor or an NBA basketball player or something like I don't know those fields. Maybe the, that's well calibrated. And actually, you're probably not going to make it to the NBA or something. I just have seen that people who uh, people underrate their their capacity to make a living, make a worthwhile living, do something that's like feels self-actualizing in their weird little niche that they're interested in. Uh, and so I just defer to saying, look, just if you find something interesting, keep keep going deeper and deeper. 
So I think everyone has way more potential than they think. So I prefer to defer to just saying you can do it. Um, And then I also say like, kind of ignore the people who are telling you to find the, um, the like realistic version of this. It's like, oh, you're interested in security. And so go to this like Borg of a security company and do the, like the mundane easily, like the legible easily employable kind of stuff or like even go to university and study security or whatever yeah it's like no, you'll be fine just keep going you're doing the right thing if if i see that so for me it's more like is someone exhibiting a huge amount of interest that's like that's actually manifest in them doing stuff just keep digging yeah okay the only caveat to that to to show that i'm balanced about this is that if they express a huge interest in something that they could have been exploring but haven't been then i will sometimes particularly for older like career switches say hey there is some reality about the degree of interest that other people have in this field which if you do not have this interest like i totally believe in your ability but if you do not genuinely have this interest to the degree that they have then your role in that ecosystem is going to be maybe different to you what you imagine Mm -hmm. So like to be concrete, if someone says, I've been writing software for 10 years, I want to switch into machine learning research. I have no background. I've had this interest for two years. Um, I haven't done anything yet. Uh, Like I haven't hacked around on things, done a project, whatever. Um, But I would like to make this career switch. Then I'll be like, well, look, this is what it looks like to be at the forefront of this. There are also these other opportunities here where maybe like that's not necessarily at the forefront, but like here's a kind of realistic picture of how interested other people are. Again, I believe in your abilities, but will you interest drive? That's my yeah. kind of uh, caveat, caveat to that. But yeah, I want to hear from Zach because I, I think it's really uh, particularly interesting for, for the like teenage year kids who show this. Because then, you know, the, the question of university is a bigger question for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, frankly, in my experience, I have I am a terrible predictor of who's going to become a superstar coder. Um, like every so often, I look at like the hack clubbers who, like some of the hack clubbers that are doing just like amazing things. I look mm-hmm. back to like one of the things that's kind of amazing about hack club is that since people are there for four years, you know, like if you think about it in terms of like relative time, like the difference between being a fourteen year old and eighteen year old is so huge. Um, but the difference between being like a 24 year old and 28 year old is not, not a very big difference. Um, so it's great because you can actually like look back in hack club and see like, what was this person doing four years ago and how did they talk? And almost always, I am very surprised by where they were four years ago. Um, and I think that if you asked me to predict, I would be wrong. Um, the people who get really deep and are just like build incredibly inspiring projects are those who did the Laszlo Polgar thing. They figured out how to make it fun. They got a feedback loop going around them. And then they figured out always just be right outside their comfort zone. And typically for teenagers, what that means is that they figured out how to get consistently inspired. They made friends that keep them around coding and that push them and inspire them to go further in coding and give them a feedback loop. And they have some sort of regular source of of like, specific nudges of things that they can do, which is usually like discord chats are in or like events that they're going to do where they're learning about stuff or maybe read Hacker News or something else like that. Um, and the thing about being a teenager too is like, you know, any teenager is like a thousand hours away from being exceptional at something. 
And that's not that much time. So if you figure out how to make it fun, you're going to have put a thousand hours in before you like even realizing it. Like I remember I was talking with a hack club at our, so every summer we do like a big summer event. I was talking with a hack club named Matt Blake. You can look him up on GitHub, who's in college now. He was doing photography for um, our summer event this past summer. And I was reflecting back to when I met him. Matt was shipping some of the most amazing projects I had ever seen a hack clever ship in Go and was writing like amazing Go libraries from scratch, like writing all these command line tools. And some of them were getting like, you know, like not like enormous pickup, but like over 100 stars on GitHub, like pretty meaningful, if you know what I mean. And he had never written a line of code like six months before that, like he had just gotten into it. Um, so I, I think that. Um, the the types of support that the you know crazy teenagers need are, are the same as everyone else yeah and, and the question is really just how do you spend as many hours as possible on good practice which is really a challenge of how do you make practice fun which is really a challenge of those three things i said before the um for the community aspects of this uh can you speak a bit to the online versus offline aspect like you know you set up physical like high school clubs but you also have a large online community you personally moved to san francisco lived in a house with 11 other people uh like how how much of the social feedback dynamic needs to be in person do you think how much can be substituted with a uh, an online thing i i think the When Hack Club is in its best form, it's a friendship factory. That is the most important thing that is happening. Teenagers are making friends with other teenagers that share their interests. And the reason why hacker friendships are so important and valuable to teenagers is that almost all their other friendships are friendships of circumstance rather than friendships of interest. You're friends with that person because you sit next to them every day or they live across the street. Where with a hacker friend, you're friends with them because you share some sort of common interest and the way you advance that friendship is by advancing that interest and it gives substance to all the interactions that you do together there's also like almost no better way to become friends with someone than by working on a project together um and i think people with lifelong friendships that's what they do um so i i think that for in-person versus online i think really it's more of a challenge of just how do you help help teenagers make as many hacker friends as possible and, and teenagers live like very social, you know, very varied lives. And for some of them, they're like chronically online. For others, they're like basically only in person. And for a lot of them, they're somewhere in between. And I, the way I think about Hack Club is like our job is to help all of the teenagers who are interested in this stuff or think they might have that interest make building projects with friends the primary thing they do in their high school years. Um, and, you know, I think that needs to be a combination. It's basically like an ecosystem and there needs to be tons and tons and tons of nudges. Um, I, I think something that you see in Hack Club is that every aspect of what we do has a very handmade quality and handmade feeling to it because we want to encourage people to organize their own events and do their own things in person. A good example of this is like this past summer, we did a big hackathon. We had almost 200 people from all over the US, all over the world come out to pretty rural Vermont. And instead of doing it in a corporate office, we got a hundred acre piece of land um, in like the Northeast Kingdom, which is a very remote and uh, rural part of the state. And um, everyone camped together and coded for four days. And like, we think kind of blending both like highly technical and very chronically online aspects of Hack Club with like super in-person roughing it aspects is how you help people have very meaningful experiences. And um, and I, I think that that's, that's important. I, I would say that since the pandemic, we've, we've uh, 
lean much more heavily into in-person. And we also try and make all of our in-person events very uh, inspiring and special. Like one thing at our flagship events is we always have live music. Um, we don't have a speaker playing like a Spotify place. We have an actual band that comes out and performs like music that you probably wouldn't hear otherwise. This past summer, we had a circus group come in and do like a circus performance throughout. I mean, it was, it was kind of magical. And part of Hack Club is trying to get people outside of what they typically think computers as a being. And, um, you know, I, I think that Hack Club is a community of enthusiasts, not of job seekers. And that's an important aspect mm. of community as well. Do we have time to answer the, the question of how you fix all the college stuff? Because it's like, uh, what what happens when you when you ignite the spark, Zach? You send yeah. somebody the game console and they play their game and they're excited and they want to go into all this. And then like they've got all these voices saying, hey, this will look great on your college application. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, in my view, I mean, if I if I could change the college system however I wanted, what I would do is I would have two admission tracks. Um, I would make one entirely test-based like they do in India, and I'd make the other entirely portfolio-based like the way art school works. And you can do one or the other or both or whatever you want. And that is just how you get into school. You either build a great portfolio because it's very hard to lie about a portfolio or you pass the test because it's very hard to lie about passing a test. I think where the ambiguity comes in is like with the personal essays and like trying to do a holistic product. Like, that's that stuff's impossible. It's basically just it's an invitation for people to commit fraud. And that is what happens like there. I don't know how large it is, but there is a huge and large industry focused on deceiving college admissions people. And when you talk to the people who are reading college essays, which we've had a couple conversations with them, it is really hard for them to tell the difference between fraud and not fraud. It's not like they're like trying to favor the person who hired the fake firm to put together the fake summer thing for them. They literally can't tell the difference. Um, we had one conversation with someone who was part of the admissions office at one of the top engineering schools in the country, and they did not understand how to evaluate someone's GitHub. And it's like, yeah, like if you're going without that understanding and you're looking at like things that are prone to fraud, I think it's too easy for, it, it encourages people to lie, exaggerate, cheat, and steal. How important has um, the pizza sponsorship been to growth of Hack Club? And I ask because uh, I'm looking at the website now and it just made me smile because it reminds me of in the 90s, they had this thing called the Pizza Hut Book It Challenge, where if you read five books and they were stamped by your school librarian, you would get a free Pizza Hut deep dish pizza. And my poor parents, I made them take me every week, but I read five books every week. But uh, yeah, that's they had a amazing. serious love-hate relationship with Pizza Hut as, as a result of that. That's so great. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, it's great. Like, um, people love pizza. And, it, it, you know, we part, part of the reason why we do these, like, time-based grants is it really helps with getting the word out. Like, if you, if you know, GitHub is one of our most important partners, and they do so much to help teenagers who use GitHub hear about Hack Club. Because they have a GitHub student newsletter, they talk about Hack Clubbers regularly in it. But the thing is, is like, it's one thing for GitHub to say, like, look at Hack Club. It's another to be like, get $100 for your Hack Club meeting in the next month if you apply. It just makes it so much more urgent. Um, so it's been great. I, I think we've bought, at this point, like hundreds of pizzas. And um, there are a lot of new Hack Clubs that have been started as a result of it. I remember we had this one um, Hack Clubber. This was the first time we did this in 2019. Um, his name's Cedric. Cedric is like, 
one of the most incredible low-level programmers I've ever met. Like when I met Cedric, he was like writing a roguelike game from scratch in C. And he got was like getting really frustrated with OpenGL. And he was like, like that's all he wanted to talk about. And um uh and um and and he, Cedric's also like very cynical and very skeptical. Um and but like an incredible person and an incredible programmer. And he joined just for the pizza. He's like, there's no way I will ever like Hack Club. I'm not interested in meeting people. I don't want to get together with people in person. I just want free pizza. And he joined and became one of the most active people on the Slack and then eventually worked with us for a year in Vermont and was at like tons of events and, you know, kind of became one of the people who was like an inspiration in the community. Cedric is now writing CAD kernels in Utah. And I think he's 19 or maybe he's 20 now. That's going to look great on his college application. So I'm going to keep saying that. It's going to be funny the whole time. Yeah. How did you, go, how did you two meet? Because I, I, when I met Zach, when I met you first, you were uh, you both were sharing office space. But is there an yeah. origin tale between the two of you that's worth sharing? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, Oz, do you remember how you were introduced? I remember the first time we had coffee, but I don't remember how you were introduced. Maybe Amjad? I don't know. Yeah, my own through Amjad. Um, I remember that um, um, was it? I'm trying to. I I I'm blanking on it. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, Hack Club for many years was a very scrappy operation. Like, let me tell you, you you do not run a nonprofit to make the money. Um, I think that that is a terrible financial decision if you try and do that. For the first, like, we started in 2014, when we hired our first employee, we paid him, like, he like he slept on the floor of my bedroom on a foam mattress for a year that he found outside on the street. Like, it was like, I mean, we were like 16 at the time, but like, it was like low budget kind of situation. And um, I remember when you met Oz, when I first met Oz, I was like, this is like one of the most brilliant thinkers I've ever met on education and like actually doing it too. You were young, you knew very little at the time. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think that was the thing driving the thought process. And, um, and Oz made an incredibly generous offer to, you know, host Hack Club at that space on 7th and Natoma way undercharged us for rent. We were not good tenants a lot of the time. And, um, uh, but really like- I was just help. hoping the Hack Club magic would rub off on uh, on our students and that they'd see teenagers doing this and be like, I too can do this. Yeah, well, it made a huge difference. And um, really, I, I'm so incredibly grateful to you, Oz, for, for hosting us and for all the inspiration during that time. I mean, really like, like, I feel like we've learned so much from you and also like just the, essentially the donation you made of the space, like really helped Hack Club grow during that time a lot. So thank you so much for that. That was, that was nothing. It's a, it's always a pleasure to see you guys make such a dent. I really don't know of any other organization that's, that's operating at the, can you tell us again, the scale at which Hack Club is operating around the world? Yeah, so Hack Club serves about 30,000 students a year through our programs. Uh, we have clubs in high schools. We have tons of stuff online. We have tons of project, like, you know, projects throughout the year. Um, Hack Clubs are in 2% of U.S. high schools today. Um, we are in almost all 50 states. Um, we are in um, 38 countries internationally. Um, every day, there are, like, incredible projects shipped in the online community. 
And um, increasingly, you know, we we're running these grant programs and the things students are building out of these grant programs are, are just incredible. Um, there was this one teenager named Paolo from Italy who's 17, who using his onboard grant just built an RP2040 board, so like a Raspberry Pi uh, mini clone um, that is like literally the size of your thumb. Like it barely fits the USB-C like thing on it. And it's a fully functional Raspberry Pi. It's all the same breakout pins and everything. I mean, it's just it's just incredible. And you and you swallow it, and it can be like an internal computer. That I'm I'm waiting for that that I Raspberry know, Pi right? Raspberry Pi Nano. Totally, yeah, the next iteration. Um, so so that's kind of the big picture. And and you know, the call out to any students listening is like, Pack Club is a free and open source community. We ourselves are nonprofit. Nearly everything we do at HQ is fully open source at GitHub.com/HackClub. Please consider contributing. Please consider getting involved. Uh, there are over 100 in-person hackathons all over the U.S. happen each year. Go to hackathons.hackclub.com, sign up, come to a local one, and um, check out Spriggan Onboard and start a club and, you know, get involved in a community of teenagers like you who love computers and want to build cool things with them. What can a middle-aged person like myself do if they want to help? So for every $100 donated, at hackclub.com slash donate, um, that will fund a sprig kit to a student or an onboard kit. Um, our new blot CNC machine is a little bit more expensive, but like that is money that will go directly to funding a specific student. And for many of the teenagers that are winning these grants, like this is the first real project that they've built and they spend many hours. Like many of the students I've talked to like have spent like 30 hours on their sprig game. And they are really proud of it. It's the first that they've ever built. And like, you can make that possible for a high schooler. Awesome. Well, Zach, you're doing, uh, you're doing very important work. I think each one of these escape hatches, can we say, for, for, for each one child is a huge deal. It's life-changing for them. And uh, to do that in the order of tens of thousands uh, every year, uh, just kind of mind-blowing. So thank you. Thanks for joining us. And yeah. Thanks for your work. That was yeah. amazing. I, I feel like you two had a friendship factory and I was able to come into it occasionally over on Natoma. So uh, uh, it's it's really amazing. And I, I, I'm i I'm psyched and I, w I wish I could do high school all over again. Seriously. Yeah, I want to do I want to be in a hat club. Yeah. Well, well, thank you guys. But and the last thing I just want to say is like it's hat club isn't me. It's not like HQ staff like hat club works because there are over a thousand teenagers all over America and all over the world who like make Hack Club happen in their community. Like it is a true grassroots movement of coders who are building the spaces that they themselves wanna be in. Every hackathon is ran by teenagers. Every club is ran by teenagers. If you're a teenager listening to this, like, like you can be the person to do it in your town and in your community too. Thanks, Zach. Awesome. I'm gonna try to make those, those fireworks show up. No, there we go. Okay, <laughs> so bad. All right, bye. That's awesome. Yeah.